Hello and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check us out on social media. And now, this week's message. guys can go ahead and have a seat. If we haven't met, my name's Tommy. I'm the guy who turned the lights out a minute ago. Um, I hit the wrong button, but we, then we had to pretend like we meant to, or it was like, no, we like it dark. You know, it's good. It's good. I do like it, uh, but it's darker than I meant for it to be, so I apologize. Um, I wanted to read to you an email that will go out tomorrow, but I wanted you to hear it here first first, right? So if it's your first Sunday, allow me to interrupt this. We don't normally do this, um, but I wanted to just make this quick announcement, and Jay's going to get up and get a, give us a few announcements, and we'll get into our message for this week. What I wrote is this. As you may recall, on Sunday, August 14th, I had the opportunity to describe to our church recent prayers in consideration of a name change. While that conversation had been ongoing for years, it predates me In our continued commitment to full transparency, we felt it vital we bring that news before you that morning. We've been committed every step of this process to showing matchless respect for our leaders, for you, and to our founders. The name Seacoast has been a powerful one in Myrtle Beach over the last several decades. It's associated with intense missions in our city, which we talked about last Sunday. Uh, It's associated with passionate authenticity in our worship, which you just experienced an, an unflinching commitment to scriptural authority. In recent years, there's conversely been a growing amount of confusion in our community around the name. Like us, you've likely found yourself saying at certain times and in certain circles, no, no, not, not that seacoast. <laughs> in addition to our weekly mistakenness with that large church planning network in our state, We repeatedly receive daily phone calls and emails asking for appointments, uh, medical assistance, even sleep study results. And I can have a lot of fun with phone calls like that. It seems the Lord in his sovereignty and perfect timing is calling us forward into a divine opportunity. We believe we're at the intersection of several special moments As you know, through your ongoing faithfulness and the Lord's provision, our mortgage has been diminished from the $1.1 million we owed in 21 to less than $195,000 in 22. What an amazing thing to celebrate. We're nearly free of those shackles. We feel full assurance the Lord will provide us total freedom in the not-too-distant future. Additionally, as you may have noticed, our signs around the building are badly damaged, aids in need of repair. This process is expensive and requires approval. With these factors, obviously, these changes can take time. Given our communicated prospect of a necessary name change, it seems good stewardship on our part to make all these changes at once. As the staff, the elders, the board, and I have all prayed, we have asked God for a name that would allow us further future growth. Many of you know our heart's cry is to plant out, not up. We would love to see the Lord use us in the future to be a church that plants churches all up and down the Grand Strand. This being the case, we sought the Lord for a new name that would show great honor to the past. Together with full submission and accountability, shared values to a wider affiliation of churches. Moreover, we specifically asked the Lord for a location name, one that would communicate where our particular gathering meets, while also communicating a shared partnership with any future gathering, should the Lord lead us to someday plant out. 
finally, we landed on the name Midtown Vineyard Church. We believe that the Lord has intentionally placed us at the center of this town. We believe that it is from this location we can plan out in the future. Places like North Myrtle Beach. <laughs> that wasn't rehearsed, but it was good. That was great. Yeah. Um, imagine a North Beach vineyard. That would be super cool. Or Surfside Beach. There's a, okay. Imagine a Surfside vineyard. Please know that the weight of all of this isn't lost on us. Please continue to pray for us that we'll be led by his spirit. And while we're excited about this, we don't immediately anticipate any next steps that would be noticeable to you. You're not going to roll up in here next week and be like, wait, it's different. Um, we just didn't want you to hear it somewhere else. Like, we just feel that commitment to transparency, to honesty, to integrity. Um, when you apply for a sign, um, it goes before uh, the city. And sometimes you can read that stuff. And we didn't, again, we just didn't want you to read it. We wanted you to hear it from us. For us to feel this call and to not mention it to you would be wrong. And we just simply want to keep you informed. So that's where we're at. We're excited. And um, you'll get all that in your email inboxes tomorrow. Let me pray, and then Jay is going to um, share with us. Yeah, there's a new logo that we're kind of, yeah. Um, Lord Jesus, we want to continue to follow you. And um, we just continue to see how you, you lay out your will in front of us. You order our steps, and God, it, it feels like you've you've ordered them in such a way that that we're kind of approaching this season together as we pray through some changes that are going to position us for just continued obedience into the future. And um, and God, it's scary at times. Um, so please give us courage. Um, speak lead, direct, and keep us humble. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. So when I was a kid, and I mean like a, a little kid, I lived in Connecticut, and my parents bought me a transformer. You guys remember transformers? Not like when it made a resurgence a few years ago with the with the movies that came out, but like the original transformers, you would get one of these things and it would be like shaped like a car or a train or something and then you could move it around and make it look like a person and I was never very good at these things. I I'm very bad at assembling anything like if we get furniture in my house that requires two-step assembly I'm like that's one step more than I'm capable of and I I have to give it to my wife and I remember as a kid I was given a transformer and I just thought like on the cartoons that they would just do what they're supposed to do and so as soon as I got it and I got it out of the package I ran outside to show my friends so that I could display for them it transforming and I hadn't yet practiced making it transform. I didn't even know that I had to, right? So I remember getting outside and showing my friends, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, I can't make it do anything. And I've got all these people waiting, like, show us, you know? And I'm so angry. Have you ever 
done this before. I get so frustrated that I just go, smash, and the thing shatters. Like, it transformed into dust. And I was like, oh, like, I didn't know that would happen. And so I gathered the pieces and kind of tail between the legs. I had to, I had to go home where I received the spanking, which I should have, right? It's why I today am a responsible citizen. No, I, I, I learned from that day forward, you can't just explode in anger like that. Like, that's a young age to learn a lesson like that, but we've all learned it before, right? We learn that there are certain things that we can't do in public. We learn to not lose our tempers. Our tempers can hurt things. We got to hold those kinds of outbursts in. This is something we've all experienced. In fact, we're all really, really, really good at monitoring and modifying behavior. We call this behavior modification. It's why we don't go around punching things, right? It's why we don't go around screaming all the time or saying out loud the things that we think, right? Maybe it's your language. Like we've learned that there are certain places that you can't use certain kinds of language. And it's not that we don't think it. We just don't say it out loud. But every now and then it slips out, right? Every now and then, you let your defenses down, the wall comes down. Maybe you're in a place where you feel safe or comfortable. And because that wall is low, something you wouldn't normally say makes it out. Something you wouldn't normally do makes it out. And then we look around because we're embarrassed because everybody's looking at us, right? And we all say the same thing. You've said it before. I've said it before. And it sounds something like this. We all go, I don't know where that came from. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what we're saying is like, well, that, that's not who I am. Like, that is not who I, Please don't judge me on that. That was not who I am. I don't feel that way. I don't mean things like that. I don't talk that way. And the Bible kind of goes, uh, I think you do. Right? We've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians for the past, like, season of, of Sundays here here at Seacoast, and what we're going to talk about today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you turn there, just know we're only going to be there for a second, because I got like half a verse into this, and I was like, my attention went, because it felt like the Holy Spirit led me in a different direction. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians, right? And I wanted to make sure this past week, it was like, I feel like we're we're moving into a new season. There's another book to study, like, right on the horizon. And so I began praying, like, Lord, is there anything we've left out of 1 Corinthians? Is there anything we haven't talked about yet that we need to talk about? And I began to think about that love chapter, right? The one that we always hear about at weddings. It's like 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, the love chapter. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's a famous chapter that we hear recited all the time. We hear it read at weddings. We hear it, we read it on Hallmark cards and places like that where the Apostle Paul starts talking about love. And I'm thinking, okay, I need to make sure. I feel like everybody's pretty familiar with that, pretty comfortable with it. Maybe we don't have to talk about it. And then just to be sure, I began reading over it this week. And I'm a little embarrassed to tell you, like one of the times I was reading over it was while I was driving. Like I was moving, I was going down the road and I had my Bible app open and I'm just kind of glancing down. You ever do this? And I look down and it says, if, verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men, and that's as far as I got. 
I had to look back up because I started, I've told you before, like I swerve in the direction I'm looking. So I'm like, you know, ooh, you know, if I, and that got stuck in my head. The full verse is, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong. It's powerful. Or a clanging symbol. And I mean, as I read this, I began to think, okay, there's so many questions that I have about this verse. The plain text meaning of it is clear. Paul is saying, even if I have all these glorious, unbelievable gifts for everybody to notice, but I'm not a loving person, then it is useless, right? I'm a clanging gong or a banging cymbal. Um, but what I kind of got lost in years ago when I was a kid was the second part of this where he talks about tongues, right? That's an exciting concept. This is an exciting thing to talk about, especially around the time I was in seminary. There are all these questions that were kind of floating around out there about tongues. The Corinthians that Paul was writing to, these guys were enamored with spiritual gifts, particularly the gift of tongues. The ancient Greek word translated here, tongues, has the idea of languages in some places, which has led many to believe that the gift of tongues is the supernatural ability to communicate the gospel in a language that everybody, despite their language of origin, can understand. Others kind of go, well, maybe it means being able to learn a new language quickly, which also kind of kind of works. The way it's used here shows that for some people, there's this prayer language between them and God. Romans chapter 8 seems to imply this also, whereby you can speak to God in this language that he just kind of understands you in. And I kind of, I started thinking about all of this. And then it was like the Holy Spirit moved me back and kind of goes, oh, you want to talk about the tongues of angels, which is what the expression is there. It's like the Holy Spirit kind of went, I'd rather talk about the tongues of men. Isn't that fascinating how quickly we go, oh, I'm curious about this, but we don't talk about the stuff that we are clear on. The Bible says, and as I'm driving, I notice this when I'm looking in my phone, if I speak in the tongues of men, pause, Holy Spirit goes, I want to talk about tongues of men. You want to talk about the tongues of angels, right? You want to talk about all the stuff that you're curious about because you don't know the answers, but what have you done with what you do know? Because what I have found so often is what we do know is not, or what we want to know, maybe is a better way to say it. What we'd like to know is not nearly as important as what, what, what we do with what we already know. And, and the tongue, the tongues of men, the tongue, if I'm right about this, like James, the brother of Jesus, first letter chronologically in the New Testament, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, brother of Jesus, says to us that no one can tame the tongue. And I'm like, I don't know if we need to be talking about the tongues of angels. We might need to be talking about the tongue that we speak to other people with because James says nobody can get it under control. And you already know that, don't you? You've tried. You've hurt someone. You've said something wrong. James goes, none of us can do that, right? He says, I love what he says here. He goes, we all, this is James chapter 3, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, right? So everyone who never says anything wrong is, can all the perfect people stand? That's all of us, right? We're able to keep our whole body in check. And then he goes on, he goes, all kinds of animals, this is fascinating, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. He's like, we've done a lot of stuff out there, right? 
But no human being can tame the tongue. James goes, you guys, we have figured out how to tame everything. Last night we shot a rocket at the moon, but none of us can figure this little thing out. And then he calls it, I love what he calls it. He goes, it's a restless evil, a world full of deadly poison. And we go, yeah, but let's talk about tongues of angels, because that's fun, right? It's like, oh, we need to figure we need to figure this out. If it's that dangerous, right, what we say, if it's a world of deadly evil, if it has the power to cause this kind of harm, maybe we should talk a little bit more about trying to tame it or keep it under control. Because I don't think when we stand before the Lord and we go, I don't know where that came from. Lord, I don't know why I said that. This is the weirdest thing. I don't think that's going to work for us. So that's what I wanted to talk about this morning. Solomon wrote something years ago, about a thousand years before James said this about the tongue. I love what Solomon says because he gives us a clue. When we say, I don't know where that came from, he kind of goes, oh, I think I do, right? You guys remember Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, wrote Song of Solomon, all this advice about relationships, wrote Ecclesiastes, all this advice about careers, right? Wrote Proverbs, the wisdom book of the Old Testament. And then Solomon, in Proverbs chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, in, in Proverbs chapter 4, he says this. He goes, he goes, if you forget everything else I said, right? Have you ever had that conversation before? If you forget everything, if you don't remember anything I said, if you forget it, if you don't pay attention, if I lost you for a minute, listen, I wrote a lot of stuff. I talked a lot about relationships, right? I talked a lot about careers. I talked about a lot about all of this stuff. But he goes, if you miss everything else that I said, above all else, guard your heart. And you go, what? Above all else? Above everything else? Everything else? You've got to guard your heart. And you go, why, Solomon? He goes, oh, I'll tell you. Because everything you do, everything you do, everything you think, Everything you say comes from your heart. He goes, you know, you, you, you said that thing or you did that thing. And you go, oh, gosh, I don't know where that came from. Solomon goes, I do. It, it came from within. It came from your heart. Like there's something wrong with your heart. Like if that's true, we've got to pay special attention to what's going on in our hearts. And it's not what you think. You know, Jesus in the in the book of Matthew, he's he's hanging out with his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. And some of you guys may remember during Jesus' earthly ministry, he was he was daily followed by crowds, scores, hundreds, sometimes thousands of people who followed him around from city to city and village to village and town to town, waiting for a miracle, hoping that the miracle would be performed on them. And then with all of these crowds, some of you guys also remember there were some religious leaders named the Pharisees that were also following him around for different reasons altogether. They wanted to kill Jesus. They were waiting for an opportunity to kill him. And they couldn't kill him when the crowd was around, right? Because as long as the crowd was there, the Pharisees knew they couldn't get him. But they were, they were hoping that there would be an opportunity to get rid of the crowd so that they could make their move. They could pounce. And every now and then, this is fascinating, Every now, this is why you should read your New Testament. Every now and then, the Pharisees would come up with a trick question. They're hoping to trip Jesus up. 
They're hoping that to get him to say something that's going to alienate him from the crowd. It's going to get the crowd to go away, and then they can move in, right? So every now and then, they'd sneak up, and they kind of throw in this trick question, hoping to get Jesus. And what's so funny in the Gospels is that every time they try this, time and time and time and time again, he would end up making them look foolish, which is what we're going to read in Matthew chapter 15. I want to tell you this quick story. And then these insightful things that Jesus said about where our behavior comes from and how we can best hold our tongues. It says, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked him, they're like, hey, we got a question for you, right? They're going to throw him a trick question. Why do your disciples, we'll talk about what this means in a minute, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat, right? This is kind of an interesting interesting accusation. We read this and we go, certainly, Jesus, your parents taught you to wash your hands before you eat, right? Certainly, the, the disciples' parents taught them to wash their hands before they eat. But that's that's not what's actually going on here. That's not what he's talking about here. They call it the tradition of the elders. Now, just a little bit of backdrop so that we can understand this and we'll drop back into the story. In the Old Testament, those who worked in the temple, the priests and Levites and all these guys, the elders, right? The people in the Old Testament who went before God on behalf of the people had to go through these ceremonial washings, these ceremonial cleansings in order to stand before God on behalf of the people. And so in order to keep their ritual purity, they would get into this habit of going through these ceremonial washings, no matter what, like if they touch anything that could, that could risk defiling them, they would go through this all over again to make sure when they go before God, there's nothing unclean in them. And so they began to have this kind of rule that, okay, anytime you leave the temple for any reason, anytime you handle anything, let's just go through the washings again just to be careful because you don't want to be in a position where you're standing before God and there's something impure in you, right? So that all makes sense. This became kind of their rule. What they did, though, is they took this tradition of washing yourself in preparation for the temple that was only for them. They took it and they applied it to everyone. They go, everyone has to go. Before you eat, you have to go through this whole rigmarole. You have to go through this whole tradition of ritual cleansing, right? And Jesus here, he's like, he's not breaking a law. He didn't have his disciples do this. He's not breaking a law. He's not breaking one of the original laws. He's not breaking one of the big 12, right? He's just breaking their tradition because he's like, it's just a tradition. It's not even in the law. So he kind of, they say to him, they go, why don't your disciples wash the way that you're supposed to? Why don't they wash before meals? And Jesus just kind of chuckles because he's like, are you seriously bringing this up right now? It's such a silly thing for them to bring up. And what he answers back he zings them, man, with something that actually is a law. Verse 3, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God, command of God, circle, underline, highlight? He's being accused of breaking a tradition of men. Jesus goes, but you're breaking a command of God, right? Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, and we have no idea what he's talking about right now, but I'll unpack it in just a minute because they knew exactly what he was talking about. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares 
that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Okay, pause. In this culture, men and women, they would store up their savings, right, in hopes that one day when their parents got too old to work, they would help with the bills. They would, they would provide for their, for their parents, their aging parents. But the Pharisees found a loophole, right? If you, if you committed all of your stuff, everything that would go to somebody after your death, if you committed it to the temple, if you committed it to the Pharisees, then there was this sort of side law that said, okay, you can live off of what you earn, but nothing else. You can't do anything else with it other than live off of it. So imagine now, this was a way, a loophole for these guys to not help their aging parents with anything. Like, they would come up to them and go, oh, could you please help? We're getting older. We need some help with this and this and this. And these people would, would kind of go, oh, I wish I could. Oh, I wish I, I would so help you right now. I'd help you with the bills. I'd write you a check. I would help you right now, but I, uh, I committed all my stuff to the temple or else I would, right? Jesus is going, you created a loophole to not have to help your parents. And, and, and honoring your parents, Jesus says, that's one of the big ten. Like that's in the table of contents on the tablets, right? That's a big, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And then he says two more words. You hypocrites. Now, anytime Jesus ends a conversation with the word hypocrites, that conversation is over. Right? He hung up on them. They walk away. They're probably frustrated. They're like, I don't even know who thought of that question. That was a stupid question. Who put me up to that? You know, you made me look like a fool. And the crowd is cheering because they kind of hate the Pharisees. You know, they're like, oh, Jesus got him. And then after they walk away, verse 10, Jesus calls over the people. He's like, oh, I just want to make sure everybody understands what just happened. Right? Because this is really, it's a teachable moment. He's like, I want to I want to help you understand what just happened. Jesus calls the crowd over to him. And he goes, listen and understand. What goes into, circle on our land, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. Meaning, puts them at odds with God. What goes into your mouth does not put you at odds with God, he says. But what comes out of your mouth, that's what defiles you. And we kind of go, that makes a lot of sense. But to them, they're like, wait, 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 hold on. This is new information. Paul, this is new information. Because they were good Hebrew boys and girls. They had understood in the Old Testament that what you put in your mouth, whether it's kosher or clean or unclean, that's what defiles you before God, right? That's what puts you at odds with God. If you eat something that's unclean, then God is unhappy with you. And in the Old Testament, the way that you stay good with God is by keeping God's commands, right? Especially what you put in your body. But remember, Jesus is a hinge between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And what he's introducing here is something brand new. He goes, that's the old way of doing things. Like, the way to be good with God is by keeping God's love. He goes, but in this new way, the, what defiles you is not what goes into your mouth. What puts you at odds with God is what comes out of your mouth. How you treat other people. Guys, this is a brand new idea. You already know it. This is like, it seems so obvious, but it was brand new to these guys. This was a game changer. This changed their whole worldview. They're going, okay, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can you start away? Okay, to keep God happy, it's not what goes into my mouth. It's what comes out of my mouth. Like that's, that's a shift. 
That's different. That's so confusing. And I love what happens next. After Jesus teaches this, he kind of he kind of moves on. You know, he starts walking again. The, the parade leaves for the next town. And then I imagine it was Peter who comes up to him. You know, because Peter, like, his mind is blown, and he's having trouble absorbing all of this. And so I imagine him coming up to Jesus and going, Jesus, listen, of, of course I understood exactly what you meant back there. You know, like, I got every word of it, but some of the other guys, are, they're just not quite getting it. So if you could go over it again slow, you know, like Peter's looking for clarification. And I love what Jesus says next, verse 16. He goes, are you still so dull? He's just kind of messing with him. And I think he pulls the brake on the parade, and he's like, come here, come here, come here, come here. Are you guys still so dull? You don't, you don't get this? Okay, I'm going to go slow for you. I'm gonna, uh, you stop me if I'm going too fast, okay? I'm going to go real slow. I'm just going to make sure that we all get this. And then he, it's this profound teaching that is such a strong message for us today because he walks us through his line of reasoning. And I think this is so important for making sure we keep our hearts pure and thus our tongues pure. If our tongues come from within, right, this is so important that we understand what he's saying here. Jesus says, verse 17, don't you see... That whatever enters the mouth, this is him going slow, by the way, goes into the stomach and then out of the body, right? And they're all like, yeah, like we, we got it. He's like, all right, well, I just said I'm going to go slow, right? You stop me if I'm going too fast. It, what goes into the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from, do you see it there? It comes from the heart. He's like, when you guys, when you say stuff like, I don't know where that came from, Jesus goes, oh, I do. It, it came from your heart. And this, this is what defiles you. Like, this is what puts you in opposition with God. Not what you eat, but what comes out. The way you treat other people with your words. He goes, this is what puts you in opposition with God. Why? Because the metric now, Jesus is saying, for peace with God in this new world, like this new um, economy that he's setting up, is how you speak, how you treat one another. Like, he's like, okay, you can't be good with me and be bad with each other, right? To use another metaphor, like you, if you came up to me after service and you were like, Tommy, I really like you, but I hate your kids, right? Or I would be like, and then you're not good with me, like, because we got a problem. God's going, okay, if you're mean to other people that I create, those are my children. You can't be okay with me and be mean to those other people. He goes, all right, for what, for out of the heart, this is so interesting, out of the heart, verse 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, and then he lists all these actions. He goes, these, these actions, these horrible actions all come from the heart. Now this is, by the way, obvious to you but to them this was again they were like wait hold on go slower right for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false testimony and slander all of these horrible actions jesus says all of that is a is a is a plant that has grown out of a seed that was put in your heart and these are what defile a person He's like, that's what, the, that's what puts you in opposition with God. Not what you eat. Not whether or not your hands have germs on them. 
He's like, that's the old way. The new way is what comes out of your mouth. What from your, it comes from your heart, and this is what defiles your person. So if this is true, right, if this is true, if you're following me on this, if, if, if keeping your tongue clean requires your heart to be kept clean, does that make sense? Jesus is saying, if that's what defiles a person, what, how you treat somebody else, and that comes from your heart, then I would say, we don't need to wait till we say the wrong thing. That's reactive. What we should do is take inventory of our hearts. That's proactive. Like, the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross and was raised back to life, Ezekiel in the Old Testament, he prophesied, you know what, God is going to give you a new heart. He says, I'm going to take that heart of stone, and I'm going to bury it, right? And I'm going to give you the heart of my son. But what's possible is that through living, even with this new heart, that sometimes there gets to be embedded in these new hearts things that drive our behavior that we're not even aware of until we hurt somebody else. And hurting somebody else, Jesus says, that's what defiles you before God. So before you hurt someone else, maybe we could shine a light into your heart and see, okay, is there anything in here that's going to cause me to hurt someone else? Is there anything in here that's going to defile me before God? Right? The four major, there's plenty, but the four major emotions that I think are easiest to identify growing out of our hearts are what I want to explore this morning. For the rest of our time together, Four major emotions that when we identify them, when we see them in there proactively, if we can get it out before it grows and hurts somebody else, we will be better for it. The first one is the seed of guilt. Maybe you guys recognize guilt is like this idea that, uh, that I owe you. <laughs> I did something. I may not have told you what it is, but when I'm around you, I feel guilty because I owe you. I took something from you. You don't know about it. Maybe I'm too proud to admit it. Guilt says, I owe you. And what it does is it leads to distance. It leads to walls and inauthenticity and dishonesty and secret keeping. Guilt, when you're around people, you feel guilty about something that you've done to them that causes distance, right? And that's something that we've got to deal with, right? It's got to do with our own hearts. There was a young lady that stayed after the first service today. Um, and boy, what she shared, it was like, oh, that's so good. I didn't even think about it that way. She goes, you know what? These four behaviors, you know, that are kind of, they come out of the heart can also help you make sense of how people are acting around you. Because it might be something that they've been hurt by that's in their heart. And we're all just a bunch of broken people acting out of our own brokenness. And so sometimes she said, as you were sharing, what I realized is like, oh, that's what, that's why that person, it has nothing to do with me. I was like, that is a great insight. It's helpful, isn't it? The next one that I, I jotted down, this is all based on a book too called Enemies of the Heart, if you're curious about that. The next one is anger. Anger says, you owe me, right? So guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me because you hurt me. You took something from me. You either pay me back or I'll pay you back. You know, anger is getting, anger is getting mad at somebody. And we all know that the problem with anger, by the way, the way that this kind of manifest in people's lives is anger leaks. 
doesn't it? When you've got anger in your heart, it leaks out into all these other areas of your life. It is not stationary. It's mobile. It leaks its way into other relationships. It leaks its way into every relationship. Anger is not isolated to the relationship of origin. Which means if you got hurt by a trusted friend or a, a parent when you were young, you're not isolating that anger to that parent. It is affecting every relationship after that. It's in your heart, Jesus says, and it is coming out in your anger. It's leaking out everywhere. That's where it comes from. The next one is greed. Greed is the idea that I owe me, right? So the first one, guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. Greed says, I owe me. You know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover up my insecurities by, by owning a lot of stuff, right? We try to, we try to uh, uh, make ourselves feel better by what we can hang on to, what we can cling on to. Greed is the assumption that everything that exists is for my consumption like it's it's one of those things that we cover our own shame with by owning other things and of course the thing that happens with greed and maybe you've known people like this before is that everyone in their life ends up feeling like they are second place to their stuff it makes them feel like boy i just can't i can't compete with that thing that you own that seems like it kind of owns you and then the last one that um I wanted to explore is the idea of jealousy that life owes me life owes. this is guys this is a big one jealousy jealousy shows up in a lot of ways one way that i see it in my own heart that makes me kind of go oh i need to pay attention to that i got some work to do if you've ever oh i'm so embarrassed to admit this to you if you've ever found yourself secretly celebrating at somebody else's misfortune have you ever felt that before, where there's something inside of you that's like, yes, you know, you get bad news about someone, and on the outside, you're like, oh, man, that's so awful, but on the inside, you're like, oh, you know, you can't wait to tell somebody. I'm like, what is that? Like, is there anything grosser than celebrating at somebody else's misfortune? Like, that's the worst thing, and what I've learned is that reveals that somewhere in my heart, there's some jealousy going on, and I got to deal with it before it makes its way out. Because Jesus says that's what, that's what defiles us now. That's what puts us at odds with God. And so as we shine that light inside of our hearts, as we take inventory of our own hearts, I wanted to suggest now that we, you're just looking at four different emotions, right, that, that, that can kind of come out of this, this yuck inside of our hearts. And then I wanted to offer four solutions for how to deal with the yuck, right? That, that's kind of funny. All right. The first one, if, um, you guys remember the first one? Guilt, yes. If guilt is dividing you or keeping you away from people, the best way that I know to deal with that guilt is to confess. Confess. If you're walking around with this guilt over something or some kind of buried thing, you're probably, you need to tell someone. And it might not be the person that you committed the wrong against, but hopefully one day it will be. Like you might graduate onto that, but that thing is going to own you as long as you're trying to hang on to it. Confession breaks the bonds of that guilt, right? The next one, when we talk about anger, if that's something that you see on the inside of your heart, and you guys know this, the way you deal with anger is to forgive, to forgive. 
whatever wrong that is that you've been hanging on to that's been affecting all of the relationships in your life, forgiveness is choosing to just let go of that. And it's hard. You go, man, I feel like I'm, le- I'm just letting go of somebody. I'm setting someone free. And you are. What's so interesting, though, is that the person you're setting free isn't them. It's you. It's effect, that anger is affecting, and maybe you can't see it, but the people around you, I guarantee they do. I mean, try this later when you go to lunch. Go, am I an angry person? You know, you might feel like, I'm not an angry person, and everybody around you goes, oh, man. Like, you know, it's affecting. I mean, you can't see it. There's some forgiveness that needs to occur. What do we do about greed? If greed is one of those things that's in your heart that's controlling your behavior, I think if greed has got, it's got its arms around you, then we learn to break its power by giving. Giving. Generosity. Recklessly giving. It frees you. And I've seen people who, they struggled with this in the past, and so now it's like, it's this crazy thing that happens in them where they're like, they're just trying to come up with more and more things to give, right? So that it's not because they... Um, they're especially generous. They just know the propensity that they have to try to cling to their stuff. And so they want to break its, break its power. I think we talked about this. I think Seth talked about this once, that that's why the idea of the tithe is in the Old Testament. God wanted to teach these ex-brick makers in a slave society, right? They didn't have refrigeration back then or preservation. You grabbed what you needed for the day and you hung on to it. And on one day a week, God wanted to teach this new society that he was creating. You know what? I just need you to trust me, right? When you get your stuff, just take a tenth of it and give it away. They're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need your stuff. I need you to know that you're not in control. And those things that you own shouldn't own you. And the way you break that power is by giving it away. And then finally, uh, if you struggle with jealousy, if you've ever celebrated secretly somebody else's misfortune, I'm so glad a few of you chuckled because that let me know it's not just me. You know, um, I think one of the best things that you can do is begin to celebrate other people other people's fortunes, to rejoice when something good happens for them. You kind of go, I don't feel it. Well, you will. It'll, It'll catch on. But you're not necessarily doing it for them. That's the thing about all of this. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for your own heart. You're doing it to keep your heart pure. Because, boy, what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 4, guard your heart with all diligence. Above all else, Solomon says, I've I've written a lot of books in the ancient world. Wisest man who ever lived. If you missed everything I said, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do. Everything you do. Everything you say. Everything you think. Everything you act out on. Everything you do comes from it. That's different than behavior modification, isn't it? Behavior modification is outside in. Let me put all these walls around my behavior and hope that my behavior stays in here. Solomon goes, oh, no, no, no. We need an inside-out approach. We need to guard our own hearts. And, and, and by the way, God's given you a new one. If you've said yes to him, and our job now is just to keep this thing pure. What that might require is a little bit of mirror work. 
just like taking inventory. Someone else shared after the first service. They said, I think in the Hebrew calendar, we're in the festival of trumpets or something like that, where the idea, and I could be wrong about this. I'm way out on a limb right now. New Year's where it's all about inventory or something about like keeping accounts or something. Yeah, okay, I don't, I don't, yeah, this is, fell off the limb that I was, yeah, next week. <laughs> what, what I thought we might do, um, before we rush back out into our week, because we say this every week, this moment's about to be over, and when we leave here, it's just going to be, we're off and running again. And it'll be next Sunday where we're like, was that a week ago? Um, It goes by so quick. I thought we might provide just a moment to do some of that mirror work. Just allow us a moment to take some inventory. I think the team's going to come up here and lead us in a song. And, um, And as it plays, I would just ask that, like, just in the quiet, that you allow God to search you. I've shared this story before. I'll share it again. But early in mine and Hannah's marriage, there was a night that we were talking. And, um, and I'll, I'll never forget, she taught me so much about how this inventory thing before the Lord works. She goes, uh, do I do anything that bugs you? And I recognized a trick question when I heard one. Because I knew, I was like, this is a setup for an argument. And I'm, you know, not born yesterday. So, so I said no. I quickly, I was like, no. And it was quiet for a minute. And I laid there staring at the ceiling. And I was like, wait. This might have been the real setup. I go, I do anything that bugs you? And she was ready. Like, she had a list. She's like, funny you bring that up. Um, She got me. I think it's pretty important sometimes that we lay ourselves before the Lord and just kind of go, do I do anything that bugs you? Like, is there anything in here that's one day going to express itself through action? Jesus says that's what's going to happen. And I don't want to be reactive if I have the chance to be proactive. Right? If, if I can avoid that here, by kind of looking for this stuff now, then we don't have to get to that point where I've hurt somebody, I've offended somebody. And so, Lord, in this moment, we just want to take advantage of a quiet space to ask you, anything in here you've given us these new hearts we're so glad we're so thankful if we've said yes to you if we've accepted what your son's done for us we don't have to live with these rotted out gross stinking corpse hearts any kind of any kind of good behavior behavior modification 
with one of these fleshly hearts that hasn't accepted what you've done. It's just like spraying perfume on a corpse and it still stinks. God, we want to, I want to ask that everybody in this room knows that they've received that new heart that you offer. And if not, let today be that day. They come to the end of themselves and their own striving. They lay down that old heart and received what you promised in the Old Testament that one day you'd give us a new heart because of what your son would do. For those of us who have said yes to you, our job is to keep our new hearts pure. We're walking around in a world where lots of different things can kind of plant things inside our hearts. Jealousy, anger, bitterness, selfishness, greed. I mentioned four, but there's so many more. And those seeds can turn into these huge bushes that affect every relationship and risk defiling us before you. can't be okay with you if we hurt the kids you made. So help us to take this seriously. Search our hearts. Purify them. Help us to get rid of these things. Then as we go into our week, we pray that you'd help us to guard our hearts. again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about who we are, check out seacoastvineyard.com. We would love to hear from you, so make sure you leave us a review or drop us a message. Until next time, have a great day.